many of you guys like being in a good mood? Raise your hand. All right. Who's sitting next to somebody who's not in a good mood? Raise your hand. Ah, that was inappropriate. You just made it worse. You did. You know you did. You're like, crap. I see, like, you asked me that question too quick. I wasn't thinking, right? Because, like, then, then she just went, why did I say she? Because it was a she, wasn't it? It was. It was. You know why? That's because you didn't help mama get them kids ready this morning. Yeah, all the mama said? Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> Everybody loves to be in a good mood. And when you're not in a good mood, there's things that you do to put yourself in a good mood. Uh, and, and some of the things that we do, uh, we can get into a bad place. Uh, sometimes, and some of the things that we'll use to 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 stop feeling so bad are are unhealthy. Uh, some of those things, but I would imagine that most of the things that you use to get yourself into a good mood uh, are, are probably pretty good and decent things. Uh, I asked my wife. I said, "What puts you in a good mood?" And she says, "A nap," because she's a mama, right? Like mamas love naps. Am I right, mamas? Is that true? Okay, four of you. All right. The other mothers love alcohol. It's alcohol. I don't need a nap. I need, I need, I need Johnny Walker. That's what I need. I need some, some prayer time with him. Oh, that's horrible. That was inappropriate. Sorry. Right. Um, but I, I, she said, it's a nap. I said, what is it about the nap? And she says, the smell of clean sheets, which it makes me like, I know she's on that side because the smell of my side of the sheets ain't smelling like that. Ain't nothing about my side of the sheets that smell good at all. But for her, it's the smell of clean sheets, like right out of the washer or Sure, we put ours in the dishwasher, apparently. That's where we put our washing machine, right? Like she loves, she loves, right? And she puts like the, uh, the fabric softener, little sheets in there. How many of you guys do that? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And, and like, like there's like, like bed sheets are worth the extra money to get the higher number thread count. I'm telling you, I didn't discover this until our 40s. But my wife was like, I want to buy these expensive sheets. And I was like, that's crazy. It's just a sheet. I'm going to sleep with or without that. Like, I don't want to pay like $50 for sheets. That's crazy money. And then she got it. And I was like, that was the wisest investment of our entire life. Like, that was amazing. That's, that's, woo, man, that's good stuff. Uh, some people like a Manny Petty, put you in a good mood. Anybody? Manny Petty, put you in a good mood. All right. Uh, Call of Duty, put anybody in a good mood. Yes, sir. Call of Duty Mondays for me, baby. I preach all day on Sunday, and Monday is Call of Duty Monday. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, Warzone Monday, too. Uh, I'll, I'll take them both. Uh, like, I, I, maybe it's a, a, a snack. Oh, I know what it is. It's an ice cream cone from McDonald's. It's only $1.49. It's probably like $3.49 now, inflation. Right? Thank you, COVID. Um, but expensive ice cream. But that ice cream cone, and it's not the ice cream. It's the ice cream with the flaky cone. It's like, it's like it doesn't get great until the cone. Now, I want as much of the cone as possible, right? I say like, hey, man. So like when I'll order, I'll, I'll like chat them up a little bit and say, hey, find me the person that makes the best ice cream cone who's on the clock today. And so usually they'll do it and they want to impress. Like you like, you like say that, they like, they'll give you like an extra large ice cream cone. And I love that. I just I love ice cream. And I'm sure everybody's surprised by that. Um, but when it gets down to the cone and now you're getting ice cream and flaky cone at the same time, <laughs> it's wonderful. It's wonderful. We love being in a good What word would you use to describe the way you feel when you're, when you're in a good mood? You, euphoric. That's the ice cream cone. Yep. Euphoric. Right. Euphoric, um, contented, uh, happy, right? Joy. What other words uh, come, come to mind? Any other words? All right. Those are the ones I, I thought, if I didn't think of euphoric, I'll use that one in the next service also. Thank you for that extra one. Uh, but joy is the word that we're looking at uh, this, this weekend. 
uh, in the Advent series. And um, uh, there's and the, the Bible is split up into two halves. It's the, the Hebrew Scriptures and the Greek Scriptures. Uh, what Christians would refer to as the Old Testament. Our Jewish friends just call the Tanakh, the Bible, and then the, the, the New Testament. Um, there's three different words that's used in Hebrew to describe joy, and we just translate it into English as joy. And then there's also three different words in the New Testament uh, in Greek that they use to describe joy, but we just translate it into joy again. So, like, we just use the same word joy, but it's got a lot of nuanced meanings, and there's different ways that we feel joy, and it's not the same for everything. But, like, the Bible will say that there's things in the world that bring us joy. And one of the things that bring us joy, uh, the Bible says, is when, when a farmer goes out at the end of the, the harvest to, to check on his crops, and he sees that they've come in with abundance, and, and he's filled with joy. Uh, and that's different, though, uh, than, a, than a mother who finds joy in the laughter of her child. Right? It's, it's a different joy, but it's, it's, still, it's still joy. Uh, there's another one that says uh, there's the beauty in, in nature brings us joy. Uh, David was talking about that. Like the, He sees the handiwork of God and that, that it fills him with joy. It's like the beauty of a sunset or here on the East Coast, the beauty of a sunrise over the ocean, which I've never seen. I've heard that it's beautiful. It's just too early in the morning. I'm not a morning person. Right, but it's, it's, it's beauty of nature. Another thing that, and there's dozens and dozens, but another one that I, I found was that going to the wedding of a friend, right? Watching a friend find their happily ever after or their happily complicated ever after, however it ends up being, we'll wait and see. But the wedding part is always, it, like it, it, bring, it brings you joy. And with all of the things in the world that bring us joy, why is it uh, so difficult to feel it? Like to find joy, sometimes it feels elusive, right? Like there's a lot of things in the world that are really great. So you would think that we would feel great all of the time, uh, but, but we don't. I, I, I don't even know if we would say that joy is one of our top three feelings, right? It's just sometimes it just feels hard, hard to get to, uh, to, to that place, it, and it's, it's not easy. And I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering why. It could be because of constant and consistent, and I know that's redundant, but because uh, it's repetitive, which is also, another, never mind. Anyway, uh, my squirrel was like, say something clever and witty that no one will understand um, because it doesn't make sense. Anyway, sorry. Now the squirrel, sorry, I got to let this go. I'll get to it. All right. Um, it's consistent disappointment, is uh, like from the people around us. We, like we we're, we do things and we're expecting a response that we don't get, or um, it's things said back. So we're so it's it's hard to find joy because maybe the people around we're around. It, maybe it's hard to find joy because of painful experiences in your past that you can't seem to shake, or uh, maybe a painful experience that you're going through now. Or if you're going to be completely transparent and vulnerable, maybe there's darkness in your own heart. Like if we're going to be really honest. Like, there's just a lot of junk in here, and that kind of keeps me from feeling, feeling joy. Uh, and we, we wish the world was different. And I don't think you have to be religious to feel that way. I think everybody recognizes that the world is, like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. So different people will come up with different things that they think will fix it. A new law, or an, an, a regime change, or a completely different form of government, or, or a, a different president, or... Uh, or different politics, like we, right, or we move to a different state, like we're, we're, we know that the world is broken, and we have different ideas on, on how it needs to be fixed, but the world that we wish existed, uh, those of us who are followers of Jesus and uh, trust what the Bible says, uh, we know that the world that you and I both wish existed is actually the world that God created, 
Like, we, there's something in us that wishes we were in the world as God originally created it. And out of love, God gives, gives us free will. And when we choose to walk away from the source of good, we find all that's bad and evil. And when mankind chose to turn, their, turn our back on, on, the, on the source of life, we find death. And then the neat thing is that God doesn't leave us on our own to the consequences of our own horrible choices uh, because he's a rescuer. And so all the way from Genesis chapter 3, uh, all the way back in the beginning, uh, God says, I'm, I'm going to show up in human history and to, to, to fix what you guys have broken. And then, and then over the course of time, through different prophets and different uh, people that the Bible says that God's Holy Spirit spoke through, the Bible tells us that at the end, God will put the world back to the way that it was. And here we are in the middle where everything's all broken and confused and things are complicated uh, and, and damaged and it's difficult to find happiness and joy. Uh, and the unique perspectives that we as Christians have and is, is that we're able to find joy when we remember what the scripture says about where our joy comes from. And I think most of the time, our happiness comes from the circumstances that we're in. But the unique benefit I think that we have because of the hope that we have in God, and we're going to get to that in just a second, and the peace that comes with that, is we find emotional clean space where we can choose an emotional, we can choose an attitude that outside of the hope that we have in God would be unbelievably difficult. Now, in this series, we said that hope is the confidence that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. That's the hope that we have. That even if it doesn't get better, there's something better on the other side of this not getting better. Right? And so that keeps me going. We just keep turning pages. And when, like at the story of our life, that's where I meant by turning pages. If you weren't, if you were here, you remember that metaphor. But it's the idea that if God really does have the pen and he's writing the story of my life and Satan shows up and spills ink in there and tries to like bring crap into my life, that God will, all right, I'll, I'll work with that and I'll show you what I can do with that too right? Like that's, 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 that's the specialty of God, is using the things that Satan brought into our life to ruin us, and then deconstructing those things and using them as a platform in which we get to stand and point other people to God with. And the confidence, even in the middle of the junk, that this too will be used by God. And it's not that everything that happens in my life was brought to me by God. That's not what the Bible verse says. It says, that, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. So it's not that all things that happened were God's plan, like God's not, God's not the one that killed your grandma, right? Like he's not the one that caused your spouse to cheat on you. That's the sin and darkness in our, like that's just the consequences of living in a broken and fallen world. That's, crap happens to everybody. But for those of us who love God and are called according to his purpose, he says, my specialty in your life is I will twist this into something good. I won't waste your pain uh, and, I, and I, won't, I won't waste this, this, this dark time. And it's because we can be confident in that that the fear and anxiety leaves. And that creates space. We talked about the peace. We talked about that last week. And in that space of peace, we get to choose a different attitude because of our confidence. And truthfully, it becomes easier. Like if I know, if you can go back, like I don't know who's going to win the World Cup today, but we're all praying for Messi. Amen? Anybody? Anybody? Messi, the greatest soccer player. Sorry, football player who's ever lived. Everybody who's not from America hates Americans calling it soccer. I like Christian Pulisic's t-shirt this year, though, where he said, it's called soccer. And he got everybody in the stands in guitar to win. Only like four people in here like soccer, because the ones that really do like soccer have skipped church this morning. So I'm, I know this is like going right over you guys' head. Uh, 
Anyway, so Mbappe is, is like the next, like he, he plays for France. And uh, Messi is the greatest soccer player who's ever lived. And he's won everything except a World Cup. And uh, Ronaldo uh, got knocked out. <laughs> he didn't even start. <laughs> okay, none of these jokes, none of this is landing on anybody here. Again, because if you knew soccer, you'd be at home watching the game right now because it started four minutes ago. Uh, sorry, you know this, the biggest squirrel grabbing my attention. But so I'm, I'm, my son has, my son came on to church last night and he never, he never attends a Saturday service. But he and all of his friends attended the Saturday service so that they could skip church this morning. Uh, they didn't skip church though because they, they came last night. So they're, they're watching the game. Uh, and, I, and I told him specific instructions, like, I, like for real. If, if, you, if you tell me who won, because I'm not getting home till about one o'clock today, uh, 1.30. And I said, if you tell me who, like, I'm kicking you out of this house. Like, I'm serious, man. You, I'm not paying for, I'm not even helping with college. Like, and not even gas money, nothing. You are on your own, right? Now, if you already know the final score and you start watching the game, and let's say France goes up by two goals, Americans always go, um, Americans always, Americans, you silly Americans, <laughs> as though I'm not one. Um, it was like, soccer is such a low-scoring game. It'll be like two to zero. Okay, and then the, the response to the rest of the world is, yeah, but you just give arbitrary points, number of points to your goal. Like, your goal can be 14 to zero. That's still only two scores to nothing, right? So the soccer could do the same thing and say all of their points are worth seven points, and then we'd feel better about it. But anyway, so France goes up by two. I'm going to be really upset because I really am going for Argentina, because Ryan and I are huge Messi fans. Um, so uh, anyway, I'm going to be very anxious, right? I'm going to be very anxious. But if I know the end of the game, Argentina comes back, then when Argentina goes down, I go through it differently. Does that make sense? Because I know the final score. And so I can be laughing and joking, even when Argentina is down, because I know in the end... It all turns out good. Does that make sense? That's where joy comes from. It's confidence in the final score. And when you have confidence that God is going to do something good with this, you're able to choose a different emotion. You're able to choose a different, a different attitude. Uh, this happened in the life of, of the, the uh, uh, children of Israel when they left Egypt. They're in the desert. They're homeless. They're exposed to sun and all of the other elements, and they're like they 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 were starting to get hungry, and they chose to sing songs of joy. Why? Because they knew that the promised land was coming. Now they had never been there, they had never seen it. All they heard is that it's just a land flowing with milk and honey. That's it, that's it. But because they were so confident that God would do what He said He would do in the middle of the debt, like in that in between time, when everything is crappy. They were able to choose joy because God had sent them a deliverer who told them that he was going to bring them out. So joy is not a condition of our present circumstances, but an expectation of a future destination. And you've experienced this kind of joy that's not based on current circumstances, but based on a future destination. How many of you guys have ever been to Disney? Anybody ever been to Disney? Experienced that hell on earth? Anyone? Anyone? If you went as a kid, you loved it. If you went as a parent, you're like, one time, that's it. We ain't doing this again. Because you paid $150 a person to ride four rides for the whole day. Four rides for the whole... <laughs> Is she wanting to go to Disney? And you're like, 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Girl, I'm going to help. No, I'm going to hook you up because here's how you do it. I grew up in Orlando. Here's, here's the way you do Disney. You save up until you can afford the pass, fast pass and skip all the lines. If you can't afford the pa- fast pass, you ain't ready for Disney. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> I just put, that just doubled the cost of your vacation, brother. I'm so sorry. But you guys are going to stay happy. There you go. That's, that's it. But I saved you all kinds of money on marriage therapy, right? Saved you all kinds of money on on that. But the day you woke up uh, to fly, the the day that you were flying out, remember how you, like, you're not not in Orlando yet, but the day you woke up, you're like, right? The colors are brighter. The birds are singing louder. There's a double rainbow all across the sky. What does it mean? What does it mean? That was the first TikTok I ever saw, right? That what a double rainbow. Anybody? Anybody on the double rainbow? Three of us? All right. Google it. Um, anyway, but you wake up on the day that you're flying out and you're not there yet. You're in the in-between space. Like waking up this morning is no different like waking up yesterday. Your circumstances are exactly the same. Nothing changed except your attitude. Your attitude is completely different because you have a different expectation. Does that make sense? Or if you're a kid, the last day of school. Is last day of school Wednesday? When's the last day of school? Friday? Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Friday? They'll get no days off? Oh, sucks to be a kid now. Oh my gosh. When I was a kid, if Christmas was Sunday, Tuesday would have been your last day because everybody had to drive somewhere, right? Everybody had to drive somewhere. But like, remember how the last, and, and so everybody can remember this. Remember back when you were in third grade and then like you, it was the last day of school before Christmas and you weren't gonna come back until after New Year's so you told everybody, see you next year. You thought that was like really clever? Right? Like, you're an adult. Stop. You're just a moron. And if no one told you that, that's because they're afraid of you because you're probably also a bully. Right? But at that last day of school, like, you, you're leaving home. You're, you're in the car or the carpool or on the bus, however you got home from school or walking. And, and it's no different than the, when you walked home yesterday. But it feels completely different because you have a different expectation. Does that make sense? That's, that's where joy comes from. Uh, Isaiah, and we've quoted Isaiah every week in this series so far, um, because Isaiah is the one that said there's coming a day when it gets really dark in Israel, and when we're going to struggle with whether or not we believe that God really loves us, sees us, or hears us when we pray. He says, and when it gets really dark, that's when the light will show up, and the light will push out the darkness, is what he said. And so Isaiah talked a lot about who the Messiah would be, who the Holy One of Israel would be, who the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 would be, who would, crush, who, who would be crushed physically, but would then take away the authority of sin and evil in the world. Um, Isaiah talked about him. And he did again in chapter 51, and that's where we're looking today. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11, it says, Those who have been uh, ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and sadness. So that's what he's, he's describing, the emotions of the day when, when God shows up in the human story in fulfillment of everything that he had said since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So it makes sense based on what Isaiah had said in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11, that when the angels finally do show up, they say, we've got great news. We, we bring you great news uh, for great, good news for great, for great joy. So when the shepherds, if they were Jewish and had been raised in Hebrew school, and the angels say, we bring you good news of great joy, that, that great joy, I, that, I, that like, I've got, like, things have been bad for the Jews for about 400 years, 
and they had gone from uh, being occupied uh, by the Greeks under Alexander the Great and the Ptolemies in Egypt and uh, the Seleucids uh, from Syria, and then, and then Rome was worse than all three of them combined. Uh, and they hadn't heard a prophet. Nobody had come speaking on behalf of God in over 400 years. So they were, they, it was really, really dark. So the angels show up and they say, we've got good news of great joy. That, that phrase, great joy, I wonder if that made the instantly connected with these shepherds to what Isaiah had said, where, oh my gosh, it's, it's, about, it's about to happen. Um, because there wasn't much about the actual circumstances of Jesus' birth that would have indicated that things were going to go great. Uh, there's a poet that talks about this. His name is Alan Francis, James Alan Francis, and here's what he said uh, about Jesus. He said, he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. He grew up in another village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant homeless preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held political office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college, never lived in a big city, and never traveled more than 200 miles away from, his, from where he was born. He never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness, and he had no credentials other than himself. He was only 33 when the tide of a public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him, and he was turned over to his enemies and went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between criminals, and while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he owned on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed tomb through the pity of a friend. And 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched and all the navies, navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat and all the kings that have ever ruled put together have not affected the life of mankind on this earth as much as this one solitary person. Isn't that crazy? You think about all that stuff stacked against him. Uh, and, and he is. Now he's, he's, everybody's obsessed. Like uh, atheists are super obsessed with Jesus. You ever notice that? Like every, everybody. And there's, so he comes to bring great joy, which nothing about the circumstances would have indicated that, but it's what the angel said would happen. And there's two things I want you to learn from, about joy, from the Christmas story. So we're in Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 8. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, uh, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them. And by the way, I love that. But and here's the thing. In all of the pictures, where does the angel appear? In the sky or on the ground? In all the, in all the paintings, where's the angel? It doesn't say that. And, and it, it, it says there's an angel who appears, and then he's joined by a host of other angels. So the angel that actually told them actually came by himself. I like to think of him just like popping out from behind a tree. I don't know. Like, there's nothing in the Bible that says that didn't happen. He's like, hey, what's up? And then they instantly pooped their pants. Because it says, and they were terrified. Now, I love that that detail is in there because that's very, it's a very human response. It's a very natural response. And, and so the reason why it got put in there is because that's actually how they really did respond when this thing actually happened to them. And then so the angel says, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Of the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So the first of only two things I want you to learn about joy from the Christmas story is this. Jesus came to bring joy to anyone. Jesus is for anyone. That's it. He came to bring joy to anyone. Why do I say that? Because who he brought it to first. Like when we look at shepherds from a Western American context, uh, we romanticize, not in a romantic way, but we, whatever, we 
rose-colored glasses, look through uh, the role of a shepherd. And we do this because uh, shepherds aren't really much of a thing on this side of the world. It still is in other parts of the world, but not in this side of the world. We're more into uh, uh, cows than we, we are sheep. Um, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, uh, but, and we know that King David was a shepherd, and he became the greatest king of all you know, Jewish history. And then Jesus referred to himself as the great shepherd. And he says, I, I know my sheep, and they, they know me, and they know my voice, and they do what I say. So since the greatest king who ever lived was a shepherd, and then Jesus refers to himself as a great shepherd, we say, oh, that's probably a pretty noble, noble, decent, honest profession. But in Jesus' day, and in many parts of the world, the shepherd is, is like, nobody wants the jo- that job. Like, that's not a good job to get. You know how sometimes you'll fill out an application, they say, have you ever committed a felony? Has anybody ever seen that on an application? Raise your hand. Anybody have to check yet? Don't, don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. And, and there are certain jobs that if you've committed a felony, you can't get that job, even if you're qualified for them. They don't, they don't want you. And some of you may have committed a felony, and um, you know, you, you've, you've paid your debt to society or whatever that's in your past, and maybe even you found God while you were there, and, and you're, you're good. And by the way, we're good. We're gl- glad you're here too. Um, anyway, weird sidetrack, because I was just thinking, somebody in here might, but you know the frustration of, of, of wanting a better job uh, than, than what you could get uh, because of your, your circumstances. And that's where they were at. Uh, in fact, in Jesus' day, the testimony of a shepherd was not admissible in court because they were, they were dirtbags. Like you, you couldn't trust them. They were thieves. They were common thieves. Like you, they, if, a, if, if somebody got murdered and a shepherd saw it, the guy got away with it because nobody could trust a shepherd. So then there are other jobs that you can apply for that don't even ask about the felony thing. You know what I'm talking about? Because they just want warm bodies. Anybody? Like if you could push a broom, we'll hire you. Uh, a shepherd didn't even have to know the language, right? Like it's, it's the bottom rung job. And they're the ones that find out about it first. If you were going to host like a super famous person was going to come to Boston, pick your famous person, that everybody would want to see. So scratch off, scratch off Ariana Grande. That's, she's not the one. Like, just pick somebody else. Like, pick somebody that everybody would really want to hang out with. Uh, like, every, something that everybody would be really looking forward to meeting. And you could be the person that announces they're coming. Uh, who would you tell? Like, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely tweet about it, right? And I'd, like, selfie. Hey, at the airport, guess who I'm picking up, right? Uh, stay tuned. Wait for it. Wait for it. That's what I would do on TikTok. I'd just do that wait for it at the thing, and then make a really long video where at the very end, something cool would happen. Um, I'd, I'd probably put it on Stoughton Enthusiast Facebook page, right? That's where all the gossip for Stoughton happens. Or the Stoughton Patch. Anybody got a patch in your town? Anybody? Okay, four of us. All right. Anybody else heard of Facebook? Anybody else hear of that? All right, okay, there's a few. All right, just checking. Uh, but I'd, I'd put it where a few, I'd, I'd, I'd put it out, I'd put it out there. I'd, I'd type up a press release, and I'd probably send that to the Patriot Ledger, uh, the Brockton Enterprise, uh, the Boston Globe, and then I'd probably send that also to the four major network news channels around, around Boston. That, that's what I would do. I, I would probably call uh, our town manager and a couple of the selectmen in Stoughton. That's where I live. If you live in uh, Brockton, you might call the mayor or the city council or Randolph, the city councilman uh, or, or woman, whatever. Like, you, like there's people that you would call. You know who you wouldn't think to tell? The homeless dude underneath the bridge. That's who you wouldn't start with. And that would be like the equivalent of where the angels started. They went to the, like these guys live in a field. They don't own property. 
They're not in a home. They don't have a roof over their head. They sleep under trees. They stink. They haven't bathed in days, weeks. Like, that's who the angels go to. Why? Why would... And by the way, they're the only ones that get to see Jesus on the night that he was born. They're the only ones. You're like, what about the wise men? Keep reading Luke chapter 2, and you'll find out that when the wise men get there, Jesus and Mary are already in a house. They shook, and I just, I just ruined everybody's manger scene right there. But it's in the Bible. It is. That by the time that, so the, the, shep, the wise men were not there on the night that he was born. And I'm, I'm sorry. That is not blasphemy. I promise you. Read Luke chapter 2. It says that when they get there, they found him in a house. So the only people that actually got to see Jesus on the night that he was born is stinky homeless people. Was that an accident or was that on purpose? Did the angels get their address wrong? God goes, here's, where, here's the coordinates I want you to go to. And they transpose the six and the nine because one of them angels got dyslexia. It's a weird dyslexia because they don't see them backwards. They see them upside down. They only have a word for that, right? And they show up. There's just four stinky homeless dudes. And all the other angels are waiting out behind their trees to pop out. I'm like, are you sure this is the right place? He's like, yes, this is where it is. Did you write it down right? Is that a six or a nine? I don't know. It goes either way, right? He's like, this doesn't look right to me. And the angel just pops out behind the tree and goes, I bring you good news of great joy. Then they poop their pants and all the other angels are like, crap, I knew this wasn't the right place. But now they got to roll with it. I obviously, okay, sorry. That, that, none of that happened. You guys are like, did the angels really talk about that? My point is that that didn't happen on accident. It's where God wanted them to go. And that made me think of this, because this, I think, is really cool. The two greatest events in human history is probably the birth of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And the first two eyewitnesses were people who are marginalized by society and whose testimony was not admissible in court. The first people to, re- to, to witness the resurrection of Jesus were women, and the first people to resurrection, re- uh, witness the resurrection, or excuse me, the birth of Jesus, were, were shepherds. Neither one of them were considered, right, verifiable witnesses. And they were the first witnesses. Why would God do that? Because this is for everybody. If it's for the shepherds, it's for you. It's for anyone. Um, later on, Jesus, is, he's got his disciples now, and they're, they're walking with him, they're going different places, and he tells them, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified. Uh, and I'm gonna, but I'm, I'm going to raise from the dead on the third day. And they, they're like, you lost me at crucifixion. So uh, they're freaking out. And Jesus says this in John chapter 16, verse 22. He says, so you have sorrow now, but I'll see you again. Because the, 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 the death, the crucifixion, it's, it's not the last thing. The, I'll see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one will ever be able to rob you of that joy. So God tells his disciples that the joy that's going to come to you is the kind of joy that no one can take away from you. Like it is, it is possible for you to hang on to this kind of joy where it's not just an every once in a while I feel this. Like I want, you're going to have this and no one can take this away. Now, I think you can let it go, but no one can take it from you that you don't give them permission to take it from you. And here's what he goes on to say. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You can ask the father directly and he'll grant your request because you use my name. You haven't been able to do this before. So this is new. He says, but ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. 
I want you to have joy. Not just a little bit. I want you to have abundant joy. But you have to ask. Who can ask? Anyone can ask. Anyone can get this. This is for everyone. That's who it is. Does that make me think, does this mean I have to live in denial? Like if I'm going through a divorce and I pick joy, that's kind of like a moron thing to do. Oh, just be happy, 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 happy. Right? When everything in the world is, is crap. Um, so do I have to live in denial? And I think, I think David talked about this in Psalm 126. He said, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the nation said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy? And then his prayer is, restore our fortunes, Lord. Why did he say that? Because they hadn't had it. They'd lost their fortunes. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as, as uh, and re like renewed the desert. Re those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. Uh, they weep as though they, uh, they weep as they go to plant the seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. So I love this because choosing joy doesn't mean that we live in denial of human suffering. What David says is that there is and will be seasons of exile. There is and will be a loss of personal fortunes. There is and will be tears of sadness, but laughter is coming. Streams of living water will flow from your hearts, even if they feel right now dry as sand. So choose joy. Ask for it. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. So choose joy. Ask for it. Ask for it. And the second thing I learned about joy from the Christmas story is that those who find joy, share joy. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, so then the angels, the rest of the, that, that angel, the announcing angel, the one who said, I bring you good news for great joy, is then joined by a host of heavenly angels. And they're all singing. Um, uh, sorry. D d by the way, if, you're, if you read the biblical descriptions of angels, there's only a specific kind of angel that even has wings. So I don't even know that all angels had wings. They may or may not have. And you're like, I don't know if I like this church anymore. You're messing up all of this stuff in my manger. manger. But they're joined by a host of other angels, and then they sing, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And then the angels leave, and here's what happens next. Luke 2.15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they, were, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing, and, and that's, that's, that's the manger, right? Like that's, that's the Christmas story right there. That's the picture. Verse 17, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. So I love that the good news started with the dudes on the bottom of the ladder, but it didn't stay at the bottom of the ladder. They took it upstream. They shared it with everybody else. The angels didn't go to Bethlehem. They didn't need to because they went to the dudes in the field and they knew that the dudes in the field, once they found that kind of joy, once they found that kind of hope that pushed out fear and anxiety, gave them the kind of peace where they could choose a different emotion. Like how long had it been since those guys had felt joy anyway? They got the crappiest job on the planet, right? Second, the first... Whoever cleaned out the latrines, that's definitely the worst job, right? But then next to that is, is the shepherds. Um, but they've, they've, they've got that. But they find it first, and then they share it with everybody else. So Bethlehem ends up finding out about it, and then they have to believe the shepherd's report just like who has to believe the shepherd's report? Us. Here's the thing. The only people that saw Jesus born on Christmas Day is the shepherds. 
The people in Bethlehem didn't see it either. They have no more advantage than you and I do. They had to choose whether or not they were going to believe it, just like you have to choose whether or not you're going to believe it. Um, and, and here's the thing. I, I think that we feel that if I choose joy, if I choose God, if I, if I turn from sin and begin following God, he's got to get me a better job than being a shepherd. But that's not what happens. The shepherds, they're the first ones that find out what an unbelievable privilege in, in human history. They're the only ones to see Jesus on the night that he was born, another amazing privilege in all of human history. They tell everybody else, and then where do they have to go? They have to go back to their crappy job. But they went back to that job with a completely different attitude. Because here's the thing. It's not your circumstances that need changing. It's your heart. Right? Like what you don't like about your circumstances is the way that it feels. What if it felt different? Then you could be okay. Right? That's what we get to choose when we place our hope, our faith, and confidence in the hope that we have in God that pushes out the fear and the anxiety which leaves us peace and then we get to choose a different emotion based on the fact that we know that laughter comes in the morning. Joy comes uh, in, in the morning. The choice to be full of joy goes way beyond the silly advice to turn the frown upside down. It's a choice to place our hope in a loving God who brings peace and chaos, who will one day right all wrongs and settle all scores. He'll bring justice to the oppressed and healing to the broken. And what I love is that to the people who are forgotten, the people who are marginalized, the shepherds, the angels brought hope. Hope created a healthy space because it pushed out fear and anxiety and left them with peace. And those two preconditions having been met, the shepherds found the capacity to choose joy, which is probably something they hadn't felt in a long time. So while the shepherds had the opportunity to go in and see Jesus personally, you have the opportunity to believe their report also. Having never seen him, having never met Jesus, you still get the opportunity to believe, believe in Jesus. And here's what's crazy. Most of the people who become devoted followers of Jesus that are talked about in the Bible are after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts. There's tens of thousands of people come devo become devoted followers of Jesus who had never met Jesus personally either. They didn't hear him personally speak or see him crucified or saw him after he was resurrected from the dead. But they, by faith, just like us, by faith, believe the report. And Peter, who did see Jesus crucified and did see Jesus resurrected from the dead, writes his first letter to the churches around the Roman Empire, and he compliments them on this. Like, I'm sure for him, like, it blew them away because he saw all of this. He knew it was true. And they trusted because they probably knew a ton of eyewitnesses. And here's what Peter writes about them. At the, so in the very beginning of his letter to all the churches, he says this. First Peter chapter 1, he says, You love him even though you have never seen him. That's awesome. Like, he's, like, like this is incredible about you. You love him even though you have never seen him. That you do not see him now, you still trust him. This is amazing. And you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. And that is the reward for trusting him. Or the reward for trusting him uh, will be uh, the salvation of your souls. So you and I are no different than the people who heard the shepherd's story that night. We either believe what the shepherds said or we don't. And the consequence of our choice to believe or not may determine the quality of our lives for the rest of eternity. Maybe you make more money now than you ever thought you would. You have a spouse and 1.2 kids. Maybe you even have a hypoallergenic dog. Things are good. You bought them on Puppy Finder. 
for way more money than you should have ever spent. You paid more for that stupid dog than you did your first car. Some of you get the people laughing. You're the guilty ones. You have a reliable car and a job, but you don't have joy. You're not happy. Happiness eludes you, and eternity scares the crap out of you. The universe is vast, and you are a tiny speck on a random rock flying around a random star. And I have good news for you. There's a God who created everything you've ever seen just so that there would be an environment in which you could exist, so that you could know him and experience his love forever. And like the shepherds, you're invited to check out Jesus also for yourself and see if he doesn't rock your stinking world. Maybe you've already found him, but you're distracted by the circumstances that you're in, the marriage that you have or the marriage that you don't have. Your eyes are focused on the situation rather than the Savior and you, even though you have the same hope as Peter and the disciples and the shepherds and the women who are the eyewitnesses of Jesus. Like you, you, you trust in the same person. You're not experiencing life in the same way. Your prayer is to refocus on the hope that you have, asking God to give you unexplainable peace so that you can have the emotional capacity to feel joy and to, excuse me, to feel peace and to choose joy so that you can say, like Paul when he was describing Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he was able to endure the shame of the cross. For the joy that was set in front of the Jews, they were able to endure the harshness of the desert. And for the joy set before you by God that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, you can keep going even though you're experiencing this. You just have to choose a different attitude. Let's pray. God, I love you with all of my heart and I'm thankful that you actually care about how I feel. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, when, when we rebelled against you, and truthfully, everybody in this room has broken the commandments. Every one of us has sinned against you. Uh, we've broken the commandments and we've, we've been selfish to our fellow man. Like there's not an innocent person in this room. And truthfully, you could have just wiped your hands off and just cast us all into outer darkness. But you, d- you didn't do that. From Genesis chapter three, instead of judgment, you offered rescue. Now there is judgment, and that's for those who rejected rescue. That's on us. You've done everything necessary to reconcile us to yourself. You have. You, you even came to us because you knew we couldn't go to you, and you show us how to do it, and then told us that if we would just put our faith in you, that you would forgive us for all of the ways that we failed to do it. And I'm just grateful. I'm thankful, Jesus, that you, you showed up, that you lived without ever sinning against breaking the commandments or being selfish to your fellow man so that you could earn immunity. And I'm thankful that you offered that immunity to me. I'm thankful that you rose from the dead with new life to give me new life, and I want that. I want you to clean all the junk out of my heart. I want you to push light into all the shadowy corners, the scary places of my heart. I want to be filled with light again. Make that your prayer. God, take away the sin that is in my heart. Forgive me for all of the, diso- the ways I've disobeyed the commandments and been selfish towards others. Make that your prayer. God, save me from my sin. Jesus, give me new life also. Clean my heart. 
Help me to trust and follow you. Make that your prayer. Give me hope so that I can find peace, so that I can choose joy. Make that your prayer. Forgive me and save me. If you've already been in a relationship with God, but you're miserable because of your circumstances, then I would say your focus is on the wrong thing. Like you're, you're not, the details of your situation are unique, but your suffering is not. Like you're not alone. There are other people in this room who've gone through what you've gone through and they've seen what God's done on the other side. And they would tell you, keep going. The thing that you're going through does not have authority over you. You belong to God. And he has authority over everything, even this. Keep going. Don't live your faith alone. Don't just show up for a service on the weekend and go home as soon as it's over. Like, connect with people who are here. And I believe that God is sovereign enough. He's going to help you become friends with somebody else who's going to know something you need to know who's already come out of something you're still going through. You just don't know them yet. They're in this room, man. So your prayer is, God, keep me encouraged. Help me to lift my eyes off the stuff I'm in so I can trust where you're going to take me through because of where I'm in. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our struggle so that we can comfort others in their struggle with the comfort we already received. If nothing else, God's going to use your difficult path just to be a blessing to somebody else who's farther behind you on the same path. Nothing is wasted. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose, you just need to get up your butt up off the ground. Start walking again. God, help us to trust you. Help us to remember that you are good even when life is bad. Thank you for loving us, for blessing us, for doing more for us than what any of us deserve, and for being willing to give every single one of us joy. You're for everybody. There's nobody in this room who can't turn from sin and begin following Jesus. Thank you for that. We love you with all of our heart, and we thank you for this time of year to remind ourselves of these things. Bless us and help us to be a blessing to others. In the name of Jesus, we all say together, amen.